Hello and welcome to Stories in Public Health. Um, as always, you're here with your host, Emily Dieta, and um, also, maybe not as always, but very commonly, we have our lovely producer, Dylan, with us. Hi, everyone. And today, we're lucky enough to be interviewing, um, in, interviewing, sorry, interviewing um, Rob Menzies, who um, works at the School of Public Health and Community Medicine at um, the University of New South Wales. He's got more than 20 years' experience in communicable disease control, and he specialises in vaccines and also has a particular research interest and has done a lot, lot of work um, with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, he did a Bachelor of Applied Science, followed by an MPH at Sydney Uni. Um, then that again was followed by a PhD at Sydney Uni. Um, and he's also uh, one of the chief investigators on an NHMRC Centre for Research Excellence called Immunisation in Understudied and Special Risk Populations, focus- focusing on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Thank you for joining us, Rob. Hi, Emily. Um Delighted to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so maybe you could start by talking about talking to us about what you're working on here um, at the school. Is there anything you're working on at the moment that's of special interest? Um, well, my job is a, what they call a sort of standard academic position, so uh, 40% teaching and 40% research. So yeah. I'm um, teaching and or convening public health perspectives of Indigenous health and uh, immunisation, public health principles of immunisation and uh, Indigenous family health and wellbeing. And uh, my... So, so that's my teaching, those three courses. Is that part of the MPH here at school? Yeah, they're all part of the MPH. Uh, And my research interests... At the moment, are really I come from a background of ev- evaluating immunisation programs and uh, tr- trying to identify areas to improve immunisation programs. So whether um, immunisation schedules need tweaking, uh, different new vaccines should be introduced, what populations should they be given to. So I'm interested in trying to develop a n- new data set which is called Medicine Insight Um, that's been uh, put together by NPS Medicine Wise uh, funded what's NPS just for people who don't know National Prescribing well uh, these days it's just NPS but okay it it used to (laughs) oh I didn't know that it used to be National Prescribing Service um, their NGO um, and They've been funded by the Commonwealth to set up this uh, national network of GPs um, and they electronically hoover all the data out of their clinic data bases and um, pull it together and and analyse it to try and get a picture of what's happening in general practice. And how are you going to be using that? So I'd like, I mean, they use it first of all, to look at prescribing patterns um, and, and, and treatment patterns. But uh, I'd like to apply it to immunisation. I am applying it to immunisation. So looking at how good it is at capturing vaccinations, yeah. uh, particularly in populations that are difficult to monitor by other means. Yeah. Like we've got children pretty well covered at the moment through the Childhood Immunisation Register, um, and that is expanding uh, to include all age groups, but there are things that uh, a register is probably not going to be able to 
monitor very well things like medical risk factors. Yeah. It's not going to capture medical risk factors. Uh, GP data is a great way to capture medical risk factors. So for um, people who don't know, people with medical risk factors are sometimes uh, recommended or funded for different vaccines, is yeah, that right? Yeah, that's right, additional vaccines. Um, so at the moment I'm looking, yeah, looking at the possibility of um, how useful it could be in, in that area um, and also uh, looking at disease impacts as well. Following immunisation programs? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Zoster is a good example of that where um, the source of data are quite limited. We, we have a new vaccine that's just been funded a couple of months ago for the elderly. Yeah. Um, but trying to monitor its impact on disease is quite complicated because where do you get the data on zoster incidents? Yeah. Um, it's not something that you could make notifiable or collect from labs. Um, so presentations at a GP is a great way to uh, potentially uh, try and monitor the incidents. So I want to look at that in the near future as well. So you're basically using data that's already collected to use it in a different way? Yep, that's my thing. And um, it's uh, it's quite a big part of public health, actually. Yep. Um, so administrative data sets, they call them, that are collected for other purposes are uh, a huge source of, um, of data on public health. And uh, to be able to use it, to use those sort of data sets um, effectively uh, is is quite efficient, as, yeah. you can, as you can imagine. And so you mentioned earlier that your um, past experience is evaluating uh, immunisation programs. So how, what particular programs have you worked on and how did you go about doing an evaluation of those types of programs? Yeah, so I've uh, run some evaluations of childhood programs such as rotavirus, um, uh, pneumococcal vaccine for infants uh, and varicella and some adult programs, pneumococcal as well and um, indigenous adult vaccination. Um, the way, there are many ways you can do evaluations but um, our approach at uh, when I was at the National Centre for Immunisation, research and surveillance was primarily one of using these administrative data sets so yeah. that um, once you set up your access to hospitalisations and notifications and um, primary care data, um, the mortality, um, you have rich data sources that can be sort of readily uh, deployed um, to look at, uh, at different vaccines and different diseases. So uh, documenting the impact and then also using these administrative data sets to actually estimate the effectiveness of a vaccine, how, how measure that, what proportion of cases is it actually present, preventing? Um, is there herd immunity? So is it preventing disease in unvaccinated age groups or, or populations? Um, and then there's usually a uh, qualitative component too. So look at the, the actual rollout of the 
of the program. So um, who do you talk to when you're doing qualitative work like that? Uh, immunisation program managers, so that's really the business of states and territories um, and, and also people at a more local level, uh, coordinators in public health units or, or other local or LHDs or, or whatever. Um, we would also talk to uh, providers, so general practitioners um, and uh, Community controlled health services, Aboriginal community controlled health services. Yeah. Um, so really a range of stakeholders. Um, and then obviously if it's a school program, then you talk to the people who are actually in the teams um, going out to schools okay. and vaccinating. Great. And so what I might move on to now is the um, Centre for Research Excellence that you were a chief investigator on. Um, so what kind of work was evolved as part of the CRE? Is that a big question? He's making faces at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so the CRE, um, I guess the nature of CREs is they're a collection of investigators um, that um, are, might be collaborating to a certain extent and, and the idea is to enhance their collaboration and sort of uh, develop more, more value through uh, cementing their relationships. So what happened in the CRE was really just the sum of uh, the investigators, what they brought and then what, uh, what developed during the time. So we had a uh, the group of people who were primarily looking at um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander immunisation was um, so that there were people looking at large data sets, linked data, um, trying to. So there was some work on on looking at um, specifically Aboriginal children. Uh, Heather Gidding was was. Is looking at that. Mm. Um, and what do the data showed that uh, Aboriginal and um, non-Aboriginal Australians have similar vaccination rates in childhood? Um, yes, so uh, that has been shown um, yeah. that the similar vaccination rates, uh, there tend to be a bit more delay in Aboriginal children, um, which is of course of some concern because that's delayed protection. Yeah. Um, but there's actually around the country been a fair bit of um, uh, attention put on that oh, and, uh, and timeliness has improved quite a lot and, uh, and that's really been testament to having good data. You know, the, the, uh, the old um, saying that what doesn't get measured doesn't get done, um, I think uh, Aboriginal childhood coverage is a classic example of that so over early on in the childhood immunization register the data weren't good enough we didn't have enough confidence in it to actually measure coverage in aboriginal children yeah um and then there was there was work done well i did a fair bit of work on validating it and um the commonwealth did a lot of work on improving it and then it got to a stage where we could use it and, and we published it and that was when we identified that there was this issue with t timeliness. Yeah. Um, but when you've got national data, um, you can have 
national KPIs and uh, KPIs were put in the agreements with states and territories and they're suddenly accountable for having good coverage in Aboriginal children and yeah. consequently uh, that was linked to millions of dollars of, um, of funding and consequently they put in place programs to improve Aboriginal childhood coverage and it's improved. I think that's a really great example of showing how um, looking into research for something and then it having actual flow-on effects sort of on the ground. Yeah, d it, it definitely. I mean, having surveillance it might sound dry, but that's a very practical example of, of how, wh how it ended up with very concrete outcomes. Yeah. And what about um, vaccination in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander adults? Do we know much about that? Yeah, it's pretty terrible. And again, the coverage rates are terrible. And and again, that's absolutely because we have we don't have much data. Um, and so, uh, so the data we have is from uh, ABS surveys, which are done about every sort of eight years. Yeah. Um, so that's coverage is released once every eight years. Well, as you can imagine, the sort of impact that has it at the public, at the grassroots level. If, if a local area is going to um, start a campaign to improve coverage in Indigenous adults, well, they can't see the results in the data. So yeah. where's the reward? Where's the incentive? Um, Do you think that's something that might be addressed with the new whole of life register? So maybe you could just explain to people what's happening with the vaccine register and um, whether that might address some of those issues. Yeah. Um, so, absolutely, the the adult register um, has some potential to improve that. So, the um, this year, from September, the childhood register was expanded to include all age groups, and that was the primary reason for doing it. Sort of now was um, the Zoster vaccine yeah. that's brought in for the elderly. Um, but uh, all vaccines can go on it. Um, so that's a great new development. Um, but actually the CRE has had uh, been advocating very strongly to the Commonwealth uh, that it's important that it, it, they do as good a job as possible on putting that together and collecting things like Indigenous status. Yeah. Um, because... We want it to be able to monitor coverage in Indigenous adults um, so that they need to put attention to where they're going to get that data from. Yeah, you, need, you need the Indigenous status not only of people who are vaccinated but also people who are not vaccinated. So you've got to link the register with some other source of data that has the Indigenous status of everyone. Um, and they're going to use Medicare, which is a good... A good start. Is that quite complete in terms of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander status? Um, we think for adults it's about 50% complete. Okay. Um, which is a good start, but um, in, in our opinion, not good enough. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the barriers about collecting that type of information? Why is it the coverage of um, people reporting that so low? So th there's, there's been a history of some reluctance to collect the data. Um, on the part of Indigenous people because yeah. they weren't sure how it was going to be used or whether it was going to be used against them. Yeah, of course. And history of 
you know, bad things happening to them in yeah. health services, etc. Um, that's largely been overcome. Uh, and the community controlled sector is is supportive. Um, but for, for the example of Medicare, um, I think it's more a case of just physically getting getting it done. So people were you register with Medicare when you're born, basically. Yeah. Um, and so children are, identi- are getting uh, registered as Indigenous. Yeah, so it's up to their parents. Yeah, so that's happening. We've got a very high rate of that. But it's, it's the parents updating their own records, which is probably the obstacle. Yeah. So I think we need to do other things with the adult register like perhaps a campaign or, or something to inc- increase that that rate yeah. but but that's so that's something that the CRE has been very active with um, advocacy is uh, is an important part of uh, science to see your uh, research put into practice. Yeah I was actually just going to ask that if you see that as part of your role it's something we haven't really touched on with with other people before so it's really interesting to hear that you do see that as part of the research role. Yeah so the CRE has run quite a few workshops um, with the idea of, you know, pulling people together around the country and um, trying to galvanise some consensus around particular issues, whether it be the elderly or um, or the, the adult immunisation register is one, one we did. And um, absolutely um, advocacy and, <coughs> and <coughs> excuse me, policy impact um it's actually important for one's career um to be able to demonstrate that as as well yeah. um it helps your ability to uh get grants and promotions so um to show the actual outcomes yep yep which is a a great thing yeah so we're just getting a little timely reminder um with a wave of the hand from dylan uh, so i might just quickly touch on um something that i wanted to ask you which is how you first got interested in this area um you really have a very specific interest in um, vaccines and especially in sort of these risk groups like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. How did that first come about? Is it something you've always been interested in? Um, yeah, I've always been interested in um, Aboriginal people. Uh, why? I don't know, because I'm Australian. Um, yeah. But uh, I got interested in public health um, because I was working as a volunteer in um, northwestern Pakistan with Afghan refugees. Oh, really? And I was um, using my science degree skills in medical labs and um, I saw what people could do with an MPH and it blew me away. Uh, Public health programs of um, sanitation, water supply... Um, child maternal health programs, EPI. It was just fantastic and I just thought, I've got to to do this. So you came back and did an MPH? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, as for, you know, how anyone ends up in a particular, you know, very sort of specific area, well, it just happens. (laughs) Just happens in research. (laughs) Um, And, uh, uh, you know, that wasn't... Um, ever that wasn't part of the original design, although I was always interested in immunisation and um, 
um, marginalised populations. Yeah. So one uh, takes opportunities as they um, present themselves uh, along the way. And yeah. that's how I've ended up in this area. And do you have any sort of advice or um, things that have worked really well for you in career for maybe some people out there who are just doing an MPH or wanting to get into public health? Is there anything that's particularly worked for you? Um, I think for me, uh, deciding what you want to do when you grow up probably took a little bit longer than for most people. I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. (laughs) That's right. So if I think getting your degrees young, uh, that's great if you sort of know that that's what you want to do. So if, if you're, you know, really confident that you really like the area that you're in, um, then I think it's best to pursue masters and PhDs as soon as you can, um, yeah. because you end up with advanced skills at a younger age, and then you can scope to to do more. However, you know, if you you don't want to do that if you're not sure and you know end up with a PhD in something you're not you don't want to touch afterwards yeah. um, so uh, I say look for opportunities of, of, of what grabs your interest and um, go with them as hard as you can and uh, and get more education in, in those areas if you're confident Excellent. Thank you. Um, And now my final question, which uh, some people love and some people hate. Um, Do you have any favourite public health book or something that really inspires you? Um, How long have I got for this? Um, Oh, he's got a list. (laughs) Well, a book on public health, yes. Uh, It's called Justinian's Flea. And I can't remember the name of the author. But it's the only book. So Justinian's Flea. So it's about... The um, bubonic plague epidemic in the time of Justinian, the emperor of the um, Byzantine Empire in um, the 6th or 7th century. Um, And uh, it uh, blew me away because the history of it, the, the extent of the devastation of of that epidemic um, initially, you know, wiping out, whether it be 30, 40% of the population, devastating the empire. Um, And then it came back, you know, 10 years later, 30 years later. um, People never knew when when it was going to reappear. Um, And then it flowed on to the... um, Sassanid Empire next door devastated them, opened up the uh, path for Muhammad about 50 years later. There was an absolute power vacuum right throughout the region to then sweep through and set up, you know, their their empire that um, persisted for you know, centuries later. So th- the area that we work in, infectious diseases, yeah. it really has had a huge impact on, on world history. And yeah. I think it's um, 
it's something that's really uh, exciting to be a part of. Oh, we'll have to have to look that one up. Mm. Um, now, Dylan's been very quiet today. Do you have any final questions? That he's shaking his head at me. <laughs> All right. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us, Rob. It's been lovely. Okay, pleasure. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>